This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 67 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by David and Brady. Today we have a whole bunch of stuff to talk about. We've got Georgia State football in the Lending Tree Bowl versus Western Kentucky. We've got the All Sun Belt Honors list out for football. And then we also have a little bit of basketball to talk about with Georgia State defeating the College of Charleston 72-55. But first, let's jump right in to the Lending Tree Bowl with Western Kentucky. Western Kentucky is still the opponent. Yes, that is a sentence that is very necessary in the year 2020 with coronavirus cancellations abounding across the league. We did do a basic breakdown of WKU last time, but here's a little bit more about the Hilltoppers. So players to watch, quarterback Tyrell Pigram, a grad transfer from Maryland, over 1,700 total yards, 12 total TDs, zero interceptions. Running back Gage Walker, 614 rushing yards. And on defense, you have defensive end D'Angelo Malone with six sacks. Defensive backs Deontay Ruffin, Dominique Bradshaw, and Roger Cray have, respectively, 11, 10, and 9 pass breakups. WKU is first nationally with 61 as a team. So uh, as far as discussion on Western Kentucky goes, we did have a question and answer session with Ross Shercliffe of the Tower Rec for the WKU perspective. Look for that coming out same day this podcast releases. Gentlemen. Had a more had more time to look at Western Kentucky, watch some of their games than last pod. I guess my general perspective doesn't really change. <laughs> Uh, but I, we can fill in a little more of the cracks as to who Western Kentucky are. Pigram is an interesting guy because the numbers don't flash that he put up. And uh, the only thing that really stands out is that he hasn't thrown any interceptions, which is impressive in this day and age with as good as defensive backs can be ball hawking and how some quarterbacks can be prone to just putting the ball in harm's way. And so getting through not a full season, but most of a season uh, with zero interceptions is impressive. But I guess I think if the Georgia state defensive line, the front shows up to continue to shut down the run, like they have been doing and doesn't let Western Kentucky get any momentum going in that way. And they're having to rely on a drop back game. And if the down and distances are staying long as Georgia state's been successful at doing the last month, then I don't know where the offense for Western Kentucky gets the points they need to keep up with what I think should be a a good game, a good day for Georgia state offensively, because well, they've only not scored 30 twice this year. Yeah, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a good game. You know, Western Kentucky has had kind of some of the inconsistency that Georgia state has had. Um, They started off the season giving up a lot of points to some teams. And then by the end of the season, they sort of kind of came into their own, both offensively and defensively, Um, you know, defensively, they're a team that brought back eight starters from last year. Um, So they had, a ton of experience and a lot of them were upperclassmen. Um, and, you know, you definitely could see it if you were to watch their games, just, you know, some of the uh, mechanics and the fundamentals with how they play. Um, you know, this was a secondary that led the country and pass broken up. Um, so, you know, while sometimes their coverage wasn't always perfect, you know, if, if there was a cornerback or a safety around 
the play when the ball was thrown, you know, he's probably going to make a play on it. So that's definitely something that Georgia state is going to really need to be, you know, cognizant of specifically quad, um, offensively. Um, I personally can't say that I know what we're going to see from Western Kentucky. Um, I think they, struggled against some of the better defenses that they played. And then they beat up on some of the worst defenses that they played. And so I think if Georgia state plays their brand of defense that they played the last month of the season, it's probably going to be a long day for pig Roman company. Um, but if we get the defense that Georgia state played against like Arkansas state, then, you know, we might have a very high scoring shootout on our hands. Yeah, an interesting point about the secondary for Western Kentucky because they're very good, and we know that Quad implicitly trusts Sam Pinckney in any 50-50 situation. So it'll be interesting to see. It's kind of the immovable object versus the irresistible force. Uh, That will be a matchup. Collectively, the secondary covering Sam, that will be a matchup worth watching because... There's not been a ton of teams that have been able to just totally negate him. And Georgia State probably hasn't played a team that is better suited in the secondary, at least, to combat what he does best. So in saying that I think Georgia State can have a good day offensively, I recognize the strengths that Western Kentucky has there. Their defensive unit's good. It's been good. It's been good basically since and including the year that Georgia state last played Western Kentucky in a bowl game. And it's the same defensive coordinator, Clayton white. Uh, He was a holdover for this uh, new staff under Tyson Helton. And you can see why, because he's getting the results on defense. The other thing I'd point out with the, uh, the offense for Georgia state is that Western Kentucky has 22 sacks through 11 games, which pretty decent number. Uh, Georgia State has 32 through nine games, so that's obviously a little bit better. But if Western Kentucky is able to get to quad in the backfield, that is the, uh, I guess, the thing that could throw a, a wrench into the works for Georgia State because quad is works well when he's got time. I think the times where he gets flustered and either rushes a throw, it sometimes doesn't lead to a turnover, but at least forces the mechanics go a little wonky. So I think if the offensive line can continue to do what they've done all year, which is keep him upright, allowing nine sacks on the year, then I believe that everything will be well for Georgia state. As far as that goes, excuse me, 11 sacks allowed on the year, but that's still a really good number for only through 11 sacks for nine games is still a really good number. So I think whereas Western Kentucky is going to be facing a really good Georgia state defensive front and they have allowed 25 sacks through their 11 games. So the opportunity might be there for the Georgia state front to have a good day and that happening in combination with the Georgia state offensive line performing, that would pretty much seal the deal. I guess I can ask you 
specifically, how do you think Western Kentucky is going to attack Georgia state? And, you know, like this is an offense that averaged 20 points a game, you know, obviously that's a little bit on the lower side. And, you know, I don't believe that Georgia state faced an offense, you know, where the numbers were so low. So what do you think is going to be the game plan for Western Kentucky to truthfully come at this Georgia state defense, regardless of, you know, is it the end of season defense or beginning of season defense? Yeah, I can't really get a read either. Um, my best guess is it's going to be something where they're going to try and get some short rhythm passes going, maybe try and catch Georgia State out on some soft zones or some soft over-the-top man and try and just move the sticks that way. They definitely they slightly slant towards the run in number of plays they run, but they're not as effective. I mean, 128 rushing yards a game to 163 passing yards a game and 3.9 yards per carry, which factors in sack yardage a little bit, but the numbers aren't wildly better when you take out the sack yardage. And I just, I, I think that they'll want to get Gage Walker going. And I think he is a dangerous back. And I think if the the holes, if the openings are there for him, he can make you pay with some long runs. But I think that their best bet is going to be trying to lull Georgia State to sleep with some quick timing stuff, work in some trick plays or work in some misdirection and try and get that short passing game going and then suddenly pop one out for a long one and try and just win in coverage or uh, beat the coverage and get a big play. No, that definitely makes sense. Um, it definitely seemed like Pigram was a lot more comfortable moving either to his left or his right than he was just standing there in a straight pocket. Um, so it definitely seems like the quick pass action, you know, either to the outsides or, you know, in an exposed middle, as you said, would be the optimal way for them to attack them in the passing game. Um, I can't say that they're as prolific in the run game as they probably would need to be. Um, you know, I, I, I think that they are a decently balanced team, um, but it's, you know, it's not like the Troy or Arkansas state game where you're facing a team that's going to throw all over you. Um, so I think that definitely favors Georgia state. If we're being honest, um, you know, we've seen what this team looks like when it comes to just predominantly, rushing teams. So I definitely think this is a good opportunity for Georgia state specifically their defense. Yeah. I think that the quick passing game would also be a way to negate having to protect Pigram in the backfield against the Georgia state front for four or five seconds at a time, because teams haven't had a lot of success doing that as, especially as of late, uh, the pass rushes for real Jordan Strawn is definitely there. I'm sure he wants double-digit sacks on the year. And given that he only needs one, I'd give him pretty good odds to get it. And so I think that that's the other reason why they would do it as such. But I guess that that is why I'm sitting where I'm sitting with this game is I just don't see the pathway short of Georgia State's offense having a struggle in game. And that's happened if the Georgia state offense comes out and plays like the Georgia state offense played against coastal, any, you know, all bets are off. Uh, this offense has had bad games this year, but the bad games have been 
way outweighed by the good games. And even in some of the bad games, the offense wasn't especially good against Troy and the team still put up 36. So when you factor in everything and if you factor in the defense being able to force some turnovers and maybe get that elusive first interception of the year for Pigram, just on all counts, it feels like a game that if Georgia State can just play their way, they can get the win. Is this where we're supposed to do score predictions? <laughs> I've put mine out into the ether already, so you can go first. Oof. Um, I feel like I've been going back and forth with with what I think, how I think the game will go. Um, I do, you know, I'm not obviously trying to be a homer or anything, but just looking at both of the teams, I do think that Georgia state is in a bit of a better position to end up winning. Um, I'll say something in the ballpark of 34 to about 17 to 21 Georgia state. Going with the double digits. I, I, I do. I, I don't think it'll be. I feel like it'll feel closer than it actually is. But I do think that like if if Georgia State plays offensively and defensively like they did at the end of the season. I find it very hard to see where Western Kentucky is going to squeak out 25, 30 points. Yeah, that's fair. And I'm in the same ballpark. Uh, I put it at 31-21 Georgia State. I just think that the 30 number is kind of just a fictitious benchmark to hit. Um, It doesn't really have significance, I guess, except that it's a a fair amount of points. But Georgia State has hit it in all but two games, and Western Kentucky has only hit 30 in two games. And it was the last two games, I'll grant you. So there's something to say about Western Kentucky also having some momentum going into this game. Uh, Fact of the matter is the way that both teams ended the season, I'm sure they would have liked to play as soon as they could. And it will be about a month between games for Georgia state. So it might come down to who had the best time re-engaging after time off and who gets off the bus. But I think if Georgia state shows any semblance like you said of the team that they've been to end the year i think they've just got the it's a better matchup for them so yeah don't forget to check out our q a with ross shercliffe of the towel rack uh for a little bit of breaking down in written form on the game versus western kentucky coming up on saturday but for right now let's go ahead and move on to the all sunbelt honors list that came out this week 14 Georgia State players named, which is the most in program history, and they are as follows. First team all Sunbelt, guard Shamarius Gilmore and kicker Noel Ruiz. Second team all Sunbelt, wide receiver Sam Pinckney, defensive end Hardrick Willis, cornerback Quavian White, and safety Antavius Lane. Third team all Sunbelt, running back Destin Coates, tight end Roger Carter, edge rusher Jordan Strawn, and defensive end Dante Wilson. Honorable mention, we have wide receiver Cornelius McCoy, center Malik Sumter, and linebackers Blake Carroll and Trajan Stevens-McQueen. Other notables, Coastal absolutely cleaned up with all Sunbelt honors. They had a player of the year and freshman of the year in Grayson McCall, their star quarterback, defensive player of the year, Taryn Jackson, coach of the year, Jamie Chadwell, and newcomer of the year was Jordan Strong. 
Arkansas State's wide receiver Jonathan Adams was Offensive Player of the Year. So, gentlemen, what are our thoughts on the all-conference teams? So I'm going to start with the coastal part just really quickly um, before I give thoughts on the Georgia State thing. I am definitely surprised that they got all of those awards. But when you look at what that team has done, it's just absolutely deserving. Um, you know, they just a phenomenal year for Coastal. So hats off to them. And, you know, hopefully one of those awards goes to Georgia State next year. Um, but Jesus, player of the year, freshman of the year and defensive and coach of the year and newcomer. Goodness. Um, now to the Panthers. Uh I know people are going to look at Jordan Strawn on the third team and they're probably going to ask, okay, how does the Sunbelt leader in sacks get on the third team? And I think that's fair. I guess I just can't find room for him on any of the other lists because that's how good, you know, guys who are going at the quarterback are in the conference. And it's, it's weird to even think that there could be guys ahead of Jordan because of how great his season was. But truthfully, that's how deep the position is in the Sunbelt conference. So it's, it's kind of a slight, if you will, but it's, it's really not that much of a, you know, outlandish thing to think that he could only make third team with that. I don't know. Little outlandish. We're not getting up in arms about. I guess there's somewhere between outlandish and getting up in arms worthy that this falls somewhere in there. It's a good conference. It's a good defense. And like you say, there's not really an impeachable name among the first two teams. I just think that no matter what, someone probably was going to be in the situation where you looked at the list and you're like, well, that person's third team. I guess all I can say is he's probably going to be thinking about that as he goes in and works to get better going into the 2021 season. So coaches of the Sunbelt, you might've done it to yourself. All oh, I'm gonna absolutely. Say. All I'm going to say, I, we can't go too far without highlighting again. That I think by a considerable margin, the most honorees for Georgia state and well-deserved. It was really not anything where a guy led Georgia state to the success that they had. It really was a group effort. It really was worth people from pretty much every part of the team getting honors. Special teams, Noel being the first team kicker, multiple offensive linemen, multiple defensive linemen, both the inside linebackers, guys in the secondary, guys at each of the skill positions. It really was just everyone continued to get better and improve and contribute to what they're supposed to do, which is sort of how the game of football is supposed to go. So really good to see everyone getting honored. Um, I know that Coach Elliott talked about how he thought that quad baby should have been at least on the third team. He was saying he thinks that quad is at least in that conversation for making a team and looking out for his quarterback, which was nice to hear. Um I think he will make the Sunbelt teams in due course. I think that maybe that's another situation where quad is going to remember that he wasn't picked and just a little bit of a chip on the shoulder as he goes into 2021. Uh, but I was really happy to see. I, I think that uh, Quay white had the three interceptions when was in his favor, but I think it would have been easy to maybe look at 
other stats and pick other guys ahead of him. And I'm glad that he got the second team nod because I think he's had a good year. And I think that it's not all about the numbers and ditto that with Dante Wilson. He doesn't have like numbers that jump off the page, but I think that's because part of what he does is just eat up so much attention that other guys get the tackle or get the sack. And I think that it's good to see that the coaches recognized real and that Dante was deserving of an honor. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I want to go back to the comment you made about the overall team, you know, because halfway through the season, we posed, you know, how do you, how do fans feel about this Georgia state season so far? Um, and, you know, people said that it was, you know, it was okay slash good, but not great or anything like that, which was fine. I, you know, that was a very fine and fair opinion to have at both at the time. And now, you know, I guess one thing that I kind of go back to with that question though, is you're when you have good teams, you're going to have a ton of players all over your team being on postseason watch lists and awards and, you know, seeing the record of five and four, one could look at Georgia state and be like, eh, they had an okay season, you know, nine games, five wins. That's fine. You know, but it's so good to see that the Sunbelt coaches all recognize that, Hey, you know, the stats might not be there for every single one of those guys, but they're always doing something impactful in the game. You know, Dante, like you said, is eating up blocks, you know, Qua and Ant might've missed some time later in the season, but early on in the season, they were ball Hawks and, you know, getting two interceptions a game. It seemed like, you know, and it's really nice to see, the coaches being able to recognize that as, you know, coaches are want to do. And so that's definitely enjoyable. Um, I guess my only thing with quad is I have a sneaky suspicion. The only reason we are not talking about him on this list is because of the interceptions. That's it. Probably. If he, also if he throws like also true. Because if Grace McCall was a non-freshman, you know, you get that guy who just lights up the board and, it's player of the year. Absolutely. But obviously can't get freshman. if It's not a freshman. And so it'd have to go to someone. And just by sheer stats, given that the, of the year awards are a little bit more stat driven. There's an argument that quad could have worked his way into that, but obviously McCall was totally warranted. Thought there was a chance they might split it up just to spread around the love, but you really can't argue him being both player of the year, freshman year. If he's player of the year and he wasn't freshman year, it probably would be a little bit weird. Um, but that's probably the avenue he might have had that he didn't have an option because Grace McCall's really good. Absolutely. So we'll we'll definitely see Quad on the preseason Sunbelt lists next year. I I'll, can almost guarantee it. I'll go one more. Uh one of these years, and probably gonna have to be next year because he's a senior. Some belt are going to recognize Malik Sumpner for being Malik Sumpner for being a really good center. They need to honorable mentions good, but I think he's one of the best three centers, at least in the Sun Belt. So pay attention coaches, get him the due he deserves next year. I just one final comment on Blake Carroll, because I really feel for the guy, man, kind of the same thing I said with Jordan Strawn. There's just so many good linebackers in this conference that I, I can't 
see a spot to put Blake Carroll. But if you watch, you know, Georgia state play football, a big part of what they were doing defensively when things were working was just Blake Carroll being everywhere in coverage and run stopping, you know? And so I, next year, you're going to see those linebackers for Georgia state with that chip on their shoulder. I, that, that is also true. I, I think the common theme will. is there's enough guys that are underrated that might be able to, have some motivation because of that. And he's definitely also in that. I think pretty easily, I guess him and Jordan Strawn both kind of tie for quote, most improved because I think that there was a lot from the coaching staff that they thought that this was going to be the type of year Jordan was going to have last year if he was healthy. So I guess since he wasn't able to play last season and this is the first full season he's been able to play after being hurt, he still qualifies as, you know, the biggest leap, but if not for him, Blake Carroll took that linebacker starting job that Ed Kearney vacated and he's not giving it back until he leaves Atlanta. (laughs) Definitely another guy warranting of a place. And I think we'll see him there next year. So let's switch gears and talk about basketball for a little bit. The Panthers did defeat the College of Charleston Cougars on Monday night, a score of 72-55 to win for the Panthers. The Panthers shot 65% from the floor in the first half to ride a 43-28 advantage into the break. Charleston got hot from beyond the perimeter in the middle of the second half, hitting four straight threes to cut the lead to as close as 52-47 with 11-13 left. But the Panthers clamped down on defense and allowed just two made field goals the rest of the way. An 8-0 Georgia State run restored their double-digit advantage, and they wouldn't relinquish it again. Corey Allen and Justin Roberts each scored 20 to lead all scorers. Eliel Sosemi with a 10.10 rebound double-double. So, based on uh, what we saw in this game, where do do we think at the end of -of out-of-conference play that the Panthers are uh, sitting at right now? As Coach Lanier was sure to stress multiple times when he talked about the game Monday night, the most important thing was that they got to play all the games they scheduled. They got through this slate because with the guys they have, the freshmen that came in, the transfers that were sitting out, the most important thing for them was just to play basketball games and to get back under their feet and earn the college game. And so Georgia state's at the point where you expect the winning record in out of conference play. And especially with some of the games that were scheduled, Charleston's a good team. They were without their leading scorer. So the record is maybe a little misleading, but the record, you kind of have to, at this point say Georgia state should win out of conference games and head into some belt with a pretty record. Um, But the actual, what was, you know, the actual, what happened was, beat an ACC team. The one team you lost to, you had a chance to avenge the loss at home. And I think that a lot of guys have gotten closer to up to speed than maybe you'd hope or have expected at this point. And also given all the COVID, they really didn't have a usual camp to get ready. So encouraging stuff all around for me, Uh, lots of guys showing flashes of what, you hope they are going to be in their careers at Georgia state. Yes. Uh, you know, the Charleston win really good for Georgia state again. Um, obviously with COVID it's 
it's nice that Georgia State didn't have any uh, they didn't have any canceled and rescheduled games. You know, they got to get their feet under them and play some sort of regular basketball, but also still get rest. Um, and, you know, they looked really good on Monday. Um, they were running out. They were hitting their threes. I mean, 52 percent from beyond the arc is kind of nuts. Um you know, Corey Allen seems to have found his stroke this year. And I mean, it's even better than the hot start that he got out to last year, you know, and the team is, I think the team is gelling really well and coaches pushing all of the right buttons. And it's whenever you have a crazy off season, like everybody in the country had, you know, it's nice to see the teams that kind of can shut out some of that noise and just go and play basketball. And I think Georgia state has done a really good job of doing that. I think there's only one game where I can say pretty confidently that they played bad in, and that was the first Mercer game and everybody saw that. So. Yeah. And I think we were hearing a lot, expecting a lot from Elio Susemi and he's met those expectations has been exactly what this Georgia state team needed heading into this year. We didn't necessarily know that Jalen Thomas would have injuries and Joe Jones would have injuries and Jalen is back and he's looking good. And hopefully Joe's back soon to continue to build up that front court depth. But I mean, you can't say enough about LEL. He's just been exactly the force that Georgia state needs inside. And Good for a double-double any game. He had one against Charleston. He had one in the home game against Mercer. I mean, dominated that game against Mercer. Just saying he had a double-double almost doesn't do it justice. Um, And it's something that Georgia State hasn't had a chance to have a guy like this because I don't think that the way Coach Hunter recruited Biggs or the way that Biggs would be suited to play his system and would seek out playing for coach Hunter was going to bring this type of guy. And so I think we're starting to see the fruit of what coach Lanier was talking about when he said he wanted to be able to look guys in the eye when they go to the big schools. And it's funny because I think Elliot was coming before coach Lanier got here. So I guess part of what I'm saying is not true because I think he coach Hunter had some say in him coming here, but I'm just wondering how much more of this is getting tapped into because of the way that Georgia state is playing now under coach Lanier. I, I do want to talk about LEL for a minute because I can't, can you remember a recent big slash forward, whatever you want to say specifically that has the hustle and determination of LEL when it comes to getting rebounds, because especially the last two games, you know, I mean, we're talking about a guy who's six, nine, like objectively not the biggest guy down on the block, but he is just forcing himself to come away with these rebounds half the time. It's, I mean, it's absurd. Uh, first that comes to my mind would be Eric Buckner. Any of the old time guys will remember him from well, almost a decade ago now. He he was on the Rod Barnes team before uh, Coach Hunter came in. And on Coach Hunter's first team. Yeah. And uh, the gold standard for uh, Georgia State is in that way. It's Nate Williams, who was there from 2001 to 2004. Mm-hmm. He's the guy. I mean, I haven't been fortunate enough to watch any of those teams play, but all the people who were around, I'm sure you can rave about him. And uh, yeah, that's the name that I've heard for that. And I, I based just on sheer numbers, um, LEL isn't there yet because 
Nate was able to play through three seasons and was putting up, you know, 18 points a game, 2002, 2003. But it hasn't really been a feature of Georgia State to have that type of guy. And that's not to say that they haven't had effective bigs. It was just, it's not how they were geared. I mean, Curtis Washington was the closest, I'd say, since Buckner. Um, but he wasn't nearly this force. He was a really good you know, block technician and other guys contributed. I mean, Marcus Kreider shouldn't have been a big, but because of the way he was able to run all the defensive sets and the way it was in zones, it really worked for him. And he was a very effective guy for Georgia state in his role, but he was, uh, you know, I think six, 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 seven. So different ballpark to the guys we're talking about um, in size. And so I think that makes a difference as far as being able to be that guy. Yeah, and Kreider and Malik Ben-Levy fall in the same category of guys that maybe played bigger than they would have in other systems because of the way that Georgia State was under Coach Hunter. And I just think that the lesson is that's just not the way that Coach Hunter is going to do business. Both worked. All the people we've talked about were good players. It's just a different type of system, different type of philosophy. And right now it's really working for LAL. And it's, you know, it's it's impressive to see because when we've talked about Georgia State over the past few years before Coach Lanier got here, they were definitely a kind of passive rebounding team. But I mean, the way that he is playing right now, I mean, I think I can't say that he's still leading the country in offensive rebounds, but I know that last week, I believe he was leading the country in offensive rebounds at like 5.3 a game, which is absurd because he's just putting those right back up for easy putback layups and dunks and stuff like that. And that's where a lot of his points are coming in. If that's what he's capable of doing, then Georgia State got a hell of a player in Elio. Now, not moving far from that point of discussion, the things that might catch Georgia state is while he is a force in his own right in rebounding, Georgia state's giving up too many offensive rebounds. Uh, right now, according to Kempom, the 322nd team with a, uh, 38.1% offensive rebounding percentage for opponents. And that coupled with how many foul shots they're giving up and how other teams are taking more advantage at the, charity stripe than Georgia state, those specifically could cost them games in this Sunbelt slate. So with as good as LEL has been the defensive glass, they have to start cleaning up better there. And we've talked about it a couple of times with the free throw shooting. I mean, it's a weird year and they didn't really have the camp to get their shots up as much. And so some of it's to be expected and coach near didn't sound too worried about the guys that are good shooters because he thinks that it's just because a little bit of just the way that this off season had gone and that those numbers will even out, but you know, they got to get on that a little bit because they're getting the line a good bit, but they're not taking advantage. And because giving second chance points and off of offensive rebounds and letting teams hang around the foul line or, the easiest way to let teams who shouldn't beat you beat you. So the Panthers are going to be heading into a little bit of a break for the holidays. Men's basketball is off until January 1st, New Year's Day, when they play two games in two days at Coastal Carolina to start Sunbelt play that Friday and Saturday. 
So before we get you guys out of here this week, we do have a question. Mike from Marietta wants to know, what is the best Christmas movie and is Die Hard a Christmas movie? I'm going to go ahead and answer the second part of that first. Yes, Die Hard absolutely, emphatically, undeniably is a Christmas movie, and it is a very good one at that. I am a man. We all have strong takes on Die Hard because we've... (laughs) all seen it cover to cover we totally have all seen die hard you, definitely have have you have you not seen die hard so at least i'm brady's not as bad as me because he has seen bits and pieces of it if somebody were to put a clip of die hard in front of me i would have no idea if i've seen it or not uh, i do know who bruce David. willis is oh i know God. what he looks like but i can't say that i've ever seen die hard so so you're telling me that i resident i only watch movies like one and a half times a year are i'm the only one in this podcast right now that has seen die hard not even die hard Two, die harder <laughs> nope i haven't seen a single one i like i want to it's definitely a few years ago i made a movie list of all the movies that i would need to see and it was definitely on there but i still have not gotten a chance to see die hard unfortunately oh man i'm mm. this is funny and i need you guys to appreciate this because i literally never watch movies and i i am the only one who has seen die hard i just i i need you i need i just need this to be known Mr. Movie Buff Brady Weiler over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I say, I I just have never like start to finish watched it. I'll, I'll say it's a Christmas movie. I'm not like both, uh, you know, inferior for not having seen it, but also having the wrong take. Like it's a Christmas movie. Um, I'm on Rotten Tomatoes right now, just looking at just like the list of like the whole depth of Christmas movies. And they've definitely got some interesting definitions as to what is a Christmas movie. Um, Little Women, I wouldn't call a Christmas movie, but there we go. Uh, I think that I'm just a classic Rudolph guy. It's the one I remember most Christmas times watching Rudolph whenever it was on TV, back when you had to watch stuff on TV or you didn't see it. Um, That and the Charlie Brown Christmas special. I think, yeah, Charlie Brown is probably going to be a lot of people's answer, especially uh, older millennials and millennial adjacent people. I don't know. And if you're, if you're born in 1980, you're not technically a millennial, but are you really Gen X? Are you really? No, you're not. You're not, you're not anything, but yeah, there's a lot of really good, uh, really classic Christmas movies. I know there's probably some of you out there that would say National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is one of them. Hilarious, by the way. I don't know. It's hard for me to come up with a favorite. I'm not, again, I'm not really a huge movie person. Like someone says, hey, let's, let's watch a movie or it's Christmas. We have to watch this. And all right, sure. We will watch whatever. That's fine. It's what people want to do. Uh, Christmas holidays, whatever, are about spending time with people you care about and enjoying each other's presence. And if that means you watch a movie, you watch a movie. If that means you don't watch a movie because you don't want to watch Die Hard and you've never seen it before, then that's fine, too, I guess. Now, is The Nightmare Before Christmas a Christmas movie or a Halloween movie? Yes. Both. It is it is adjacent to Christmas and adjacent to Halloween in the same way that a Venn diagram of those two things is a circle. Because that's also up there for sure. Can't go wrong with Nightmare Before Christmas. Definitely um, not. Definitely more pro-cartoon Grinch than Jim Carrey Grinch. Oh, and absolutely. definitely more cartoon Grinch than whatever 
MVC or whoever just tried to do. Yeah. I just saw like the promotional stills from that, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna pass on spending time doing that. I mean, hey, if if KFC can do like a steamy romance with Colonel Sanders airing in a Hallmark at noon, then I think all bets are off for what constitutes good movies. Oh, is that a Christmas movie? I, I guess it's like, as if so, that's number one for sure. <laughs> I think that's, it is that's actually favorite all time movie. movie. I, I'm I, I gotta look this up. Hold on. And so while Jordan's doing that, I will say. Um, the Jim Carrey performance in that Grinch is pretty good, but that movie itself is not great. I mean, Jim um, Carrey does Jim Carrey things. Oh my God. Yes. That lifetime, get out of here. Pop up ad that lifetime movie with Mario Lopez as hunky Colonel Sanders is real. Here's the spicy trailer. The bite sized quote unquote, a recipe for seduction is <laughs> part of a campaign with fast food restaurant KFC. Is this a Christmas movie? Okay, it aired on um, uh, Sunday, December 13th. Uh, da, 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 da. Lopez plays Car- Colonel Harlan Sanders in the film, who has a steamy and savory love affair with a young heiress who must choose between her young chef with the dream of fried chicken glory and a wealthy, duplicitous suitor handpicked by her mother. Okay, oh, here it is. A Recipe for Seduction is just one of Lifetime's many movies in the It's a Wonderful Lifetime Christmas and Holiday Movie Slate. It sounds like a stretch. Yeah, but oh God, it's, it's it's this is the kind of thing that you get when you let Twilight fan fiction become an entire book series. All right. Just oh, my God. We're going to oh, get angry oh, Twilight letters. They bur- they buried the yeah, the the Venn diagram between Twilight readers and Thursday night podcast listeners is about as far apart as you can get. But here would they We're buried the find lead. out Mario Lopez also stars in another lifetime original Christmas movie called Feliz Navi Dad, which will encore on Lifetime after the debut of A Recipe for Seduction. I is, can't believe this. Is there a, a hyphen or we just meant to assume that it's dad? No, it's it's like it's stylized as Feliz Navidad, capital D-A-D. Oh, God. Oh. Hey, man, mm. do not turn down a check. That's the I Mario mean, Lopez way. Get, get your bread or get your fried chicken or whatever, but like, oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, I have starred in zero <laughs> movies, let alone two that I'm getting nope, offered to pay Brady. in Lifetime. Were you in Panther Band when we were in that amazing, incredible, absolutely no, I was not. defendable movie, The Watch? The movie's terrible. Don't ever watch it. But if you want to see the band director hand Ben Stiller a microphone and see our drum major walk by without a, uh, a Shaco hat on because he brought the wrong one that was too small, you can watch that movie. But don't watch the movie. It's really bad. It was before my time, unfortunately. I got paid. It took him four months to mail us the checks, but still got paid. Anyway, I feel like uh, I feel like we have gone sufficiently off the rails. Do we have any other uh, any other comments on Christmas movies? What's your favorite Carol? Ooh, I I love I love a good Christmas Carol. There's so many good ones that nobody ever brings out. You know, so when I I was uh, in high school, the uh, church I was going to at the time had a uh, an orchestra, and I was a euphonium player there. And we got together with some of the other brass guys and we said, hey, let's do some Christmas carols for the Christmas Eve service. It'd be really fun. Everybody will like it. And it, it was good. It ended up being nice. And we pulled out a bunch of really old, like the deep cuts, like, you know, uh, deep tracks or whatever. The Wasp X, XM channel, channel 40, whatever it was. Deep tracks of Christmas. Yeah. Carol. 
Coventry Carol. I was going to say Coventry Carol. Uh, here we go. A wassailing. Uh, bring a torch to Jeanette and Isabella, whatever. There's some really cool old stuff that never gets pulled out because everybody just wants to bump Mariah Carey. All I want for Christmas is you. That's not a Christmas Carol. It's uh, a no, it's you're, a absolute you're wrong. It's, banger. It's, it's, it's not a Carol. You good, can't sing that in the Baptist perfect church. Christmas. Yes, you can. Oh, oh no. Get a pipe <laughs> organ. You can play anything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's funny, Brady, that you say that because there's a guy on YouTube who goes into like these beautiful, like absolutely ornate, immaculate Catholic like churches, cathedrals, and plays the most secular, like inappropriate music on them, and it is awesome. It's incredible. It's like you have this giant like pipe organ that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. And he's over here playing Mariah Carey on it. He's playing all this other crazy stuff. It, it's cool. You got to go check it out if you're a big classical music guy or whatever. But yeah, it's uh, lots of good Christmas carols. Uh, what, what you got besides the uh, deep cuts we were talking about earlier? Yeah, I was going to say you kind of filibustered everyone else's time with your little That's diatribe you, there. You know, I, I, I talk like every three episodes. I, I got to say something. That's fair. Uh, I've always liked What Child Is This? Maybe it's just because Green Sleeves is a good melody, but yeah. I've always liked that. That's a good one. Is this where I say the Trans-Siberian Orchestra's rendition of Carol of the Bells is my answer? That's a good answer. That That is a great one. It's So it's actually not my favorite. Um, I can't... For the, I need to figure out who is the version that i actually love because everybody does the song but uh walking in a winter wonderland is easily my favorite christmas song that's a good one yeah i mean also i said carol you know christmas song whatever we don't have to just totally put down mariah because obviously that counts as a christmas song and christmas song is a bigger category of which there are christmas carols so it can be yours not saying santa baby i i will come through this computer and fight you it we're not no that song is cursed it is horrifying and especially in that awful christmas movie what was it deck the halls or something came out like a decade ago and the guy's like daughter is like doing like a strip tease to it it is horrible (laughs) and it's oh geez just i don't want to think about it anymore well thanks to mike and brady from northwood hill for the questions (laughs) thanks brady No, seriously though it's uh it's always fun to have something that goes kind of off the rails as you will but that's the way we do things here at uh thursday night and uh before we let you guys go we do want to wish everyone a merry christmas and happy holidays from all of us here even though uh taylor has been pretty caught up in work he is still involved and i'm sure would echo our sentiments as well anything else we want to talk about gentlemen before we send these people on their way don't write your letters to us about any of the takes Jordan was really aggressive about. Those are specifically Jordan Crawford issues. If you're a Twilight fan, we're sorry. <laughs> that, that's it. No further condolences, just we're sorry. Podcast oh, talk doesn't equal endorsements. Unless it actually does, but that's it, enough of that. Uh, yeah, th- thanks so much for listening. We really do appreciate you guys being involved. Don't forget to check out our Q&A with Ross Shercliffe of the Tower Rack for a little bit of the WKU perspective on the Lending Tree Bowl. And don't forget to check out the Lending Tree Bowl on Saturday at 3.30 p.m. on ESPN. But yeah, like we said earlier, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays from all of us here at Thursday night. And we hope you have a fantastic time, whatever your holiday ends up being. And we will catch you back next week. Bye.
The Thursday Night Podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia State sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC, on behalf of ThursdayNight.com, unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by Programming Director Brady Weiler and Technical Director Jordan Crawford, with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcast. To submit questions and comments, or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Thursday Night or via email at thursdaynight at gmail.com.